How many mics do we? Government, the other day. Microphone, check one, two, What's the code? Do I call the phone? Rapper's still at heart, and no one's from the old school. Cause rapper's still a brand new tool, I say no. What's good, y'all? This is Idris Goodwin. And I'm Kevin Koval. And you are listening to the same old new school, our weekly show where we chop it up about everything in the culture, uh, from music to film to political hijinks and everything in between. Yeah, man, it's good to be back. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Shout out Vocal Radio. Shout out Super Producer Justin Mayer. And uh, thanks for tuning in this week and every week. Yeah, every weekend. And I hope you all are uh, keeping up with us on the streamers. Uh, you can find us on Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere they be streaming content. You will you will find us. And of course, tune in live and direct every Saturday at two o'clock in Chicago, but anywhere, because you could download the Vocaloro app, 91.1 FM in the city of Chicago. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So we got uh, three very hot topics to get into this week. Kevin Koval, you know, I know you and I, we remember a time when hip hop got no love at the Grammys, you know, and famously, I want to say, was it 89, where uh, a group of rappers actually boycotted the Grammys, Fresh Prince was actually nominated. Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff were nominated, but there was a boycott because, oh, they wouldn't televise. That's what it was. They wouldn't televise the rap Grammy. Right. But Kumo D showed up anyway and gave out like an R&B award. <laughs> Did he really? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why do you know that? <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I was because I'm a nerd, essentially. You um, like you were Modi guy, though. A big Modi. Yeah. Love Modi. Modi. I think like. Melly Mel made, in some ways, made Modi. Take it to ride, white line highway, tell all your friends they can go my way, pay your toll, sell your soul, pound for pound, cost more than gold. I'm on, then I'll watch you three seconds later. I got you shaking your head, dancing instead of sitting. The rock. I love that lineage, like that oh, Modi. Yeah. I let that Melly Mel Modi. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that the Grammys have spoken. And they've nominated various albums. My question to you, Idris Goodham, is do we care in 2020 about rap album nominations from the Grammys? I mean, yes and no. Yes and no. I just think it's interesting. You know what I mean? Like anything having it's the culture. So it's it's all interesting. I mean, yes, we know the Grammys, the Emmys, the Oscars are kind of focacta, right? But this year really surprised me. I was really surprised when I saw the five albums that were nominated for, you know, best rap album. I was like, literally like, I thought it was a joke. Like I thought somebody was just getting busy on Photoshop or something like that. Cause the five albums were just really surprising to me. Some, some more so than others, but the one that I was most surprised to see was Royce to five nines album, the allegory. Incredible. Yeah. Which is a very, very dense it's a very dense, very heady, very rap, very hip hop, two capital H's type of album and very like, you know, very sociopolitical and, and sort of in a weird way, it's almost like his kind of version of uh, what's the Kendrick Lamar album, um, Pimple Butterfly. Yep. Yeah. No, I think you're right. So so let's let, so just just to be clear, first of all, we're only on this episode talking about the category best rap album. Uh, yes. And the five nominated records are D Smoke's Black Habits. Freddie Gibbs and the Alchemist, Alfredo. Yeah. 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 Microphone check one, two, mic checker. Still 
Jay Electronica's and Jay Z's a, a written testimony. Once upon a time, there was a liquid youth, the cub of a lion, stowed away captive, a long way home from Zion. King's Disease by Nas. Whole squad hot the burners. Mets hat in the sky like Bobby Smurder. They watch me like the chip court side. And then the Allegory by Royce the Five Nine. You think you the people's champ because people playing your single. But I don't think that you should keep playing with me though. Because every time I squeeze it down. You're right. Royce is seems like I mean there's there's a few anomalies on this list. I, I also don't know how, and I'm so glad because actually I was driving through Gary, Indiana today, listening hey. to Freddie Gibbs. And hey. and this Alchemist Freddie Gibbs record, Alfredo, is in my top five albums of the year. Yeah, going back to it in preparation for this conversation, like I liked it when it came out uh, over the summer. In preparation for this, I listened to it again in some very, very good headphones, and it's really good. Yes, and it's and it's just it's and I, I'm sure somewhere Madlib is mad because he made two great albums with Freddie Gibbs, Pinata, and Bandana, and I was very much like, well, okay, you know, whatever, Alfredo, you just trying to do like Madlib, but honestly, like Alchemist kind of like answer back. Like you know, yeah, what I mean? like yeah. it's it's excellent. I mean, it's the production, the whole marriage of Gibbs and the beats and all of it. Like it's it's really good. I think that when you kind of hole up with someone or some ideas or some, you know, when you collaborate in that way, and as good as Freddie Gibbs is, as good as Alchemist is, and you make one another better, it is some like Pippin Jordan kind of thing that's yeah, that's occurring yeah. on this record or with these kinds. I love these kinds of collaborations. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and we do have like Mad Lib and DJ Muggs and we've been talking about producers throughout the summer on our show but like this is a very special collaboration I think between these two these two records I feel like for me on this list are the winners but mm -hmm. it's going to be hard to imagine that the Grammy goes to either one I would love to see Freddie Gibbs get a Grammy though oh my god it'd be crazy Yes, because I want that acceptance speech. And also, he's just, he's nice like that. Um, I mean, 2020 is so bizarre already. I, I know. Mean, it, it, could, it might could happen. <laughs> you never know. Well, well I, I mean, how do you, so I, I am, I am not surprised, but surprised because these three other records, uh, the Nas record, the D Smoke record, and the J Electronica record are certainly far from my top 10 records in the year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess I was surprised to see them on this list, although this is the same Grammys that gave Macklemore a Grammy over Kendrick. So, I mean, but none of these are Macklemore's. That's, that's, no, what, I'm, that's I what I'm saying is like, there's not even any like sort of crossover -y albums on here. There's no like DaBaby or Megan Thee Stallion or any in this, in this category, like, like some heads, there were some heads on this panel somewhere, like Andrew Barber. Rest of five nine the Gallup. Andrew that? Barber. Andrew Barber See? is yeah, and and, and I want to say I think I might be mistaken. I think Ad Two is also yeah. That's how you get Alfredo. Exactly. That's how you yes. Get Alfredo. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, in revisiting, because I, I you know I, I happily revisited a lot of these. I, mean, I hadn't listened to D Smoke, but I did. I was a huge fan of that show, uh, that Netflix show where we all met D Smoke for the first time. And you know it's good. It's good. It didn't blow me away. It's fine. Um, I was really, you know, I had some very strong negative feelings about the Jay Electronica slash Jay Z album. So I was like a little annoyed to see that album on there because it's not good. No, I, I feel like it's it's certainly not the album that we had waited a decade for. First of all, it's a Jay Z record. That's one, you know, and it's it's Jay Z's maybe worst record. 
Um, you know, and I like Jay's parts on it, but I don't think Jay Electronica kind of brings the the promise that we had. Expected, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, it it just it's it's kind of weak in some of the concepts. It just gets kind of tedious. And I mean, there's a couple joints on there. There's a couple like here and there. There's some joints, but I was very that to me felt like a very sort of industry choice uh, putting that one on the list. Um, I feel the same way about D Smoke. Yeah. By the way, I feel like you know, yeah. You know, that that this this record is too close to being iterative of Kendrick, yes. you know, in yeah. some ways. And it doesn't make sense in this yeah. year. It didn't do, you know, not not that you have to make noise, but there's and I want to talk in a second about the records yes, that exactly. are deserved yeah, of this. Um, but this is this is not yeah. one of them. Uh, but you were gonna you were gonna speak on Nas. Well, I revisited Nas's record too, and uh, you know, definitely Hit Boy's genius holds up. I mean, the, the album is so it's well produced and it's concise. Like there's no fat on it. Like that's the thing I like is I like how it's arranged and I like how it's like song to song to song. Like no skits, no funny business. Um, Car eighty seven, Car eighty five, whatever that song is. I love. That's my favorite song. That's the one a, with that's um, a good song. Yeah. the one with um, uh, ooh wee. Is it Charlie Wilson? Oh, Charlie Wilson on it. Yeah, uh, it's dope. They call me Babyface in eighty eight. I'm 40th and Broadway, they made me stay and wait. Cab service, car 85, 10 minutes, they back in the car. The firm song still goes. Tilted brim like Goldie talking. Prior listening, my prior women had no remorse. When they tried to end them, no discourse, no discussion. I'm all alone. And all the people with the big hats on went home. So what you gonna do now? You know, it still goes, that song, that spicy song with ASAP Ferg and uh, the other dude uh, still goes. Uh, but definitely I was a bit more annoyed this time with like Nas's like weird talking to the ladies kind of like yeah no. it's very yeah. like I'm like archaic kind of weird I'm gender like, politics yeah I'm definitely yeah. I'm like someone someone hurt you bad and you've probably heard a lot of people too because it just shows up randomly like it's, it'll be like yeah and then I'm I'm you know I'm out I'm watching the Tyson fight and then you know this woman on the other end of the arena like <laughs> I know. Wearing a dress too low. I'm like, what? Okay. Yeah. All right, Gramps. It's like, relax, yeah, yeah. my guy. Yeah, so it was yeah. a little bit more apparent this go-around, and that definitely like chipped a couple points away because it was distracting this time. Whereas I think the first time I found myself a bit more lost in sort of the the production, but this time I was like, eh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, that's real. So I, I agree. I think that those three records do not deserve to be on this list. I would say if I was making this list, you know, to put Royce and to put Freddie Gibbs and Alchemist on this list, I would do so. Who do your other three nods go to for this nomination, though, if we're talking albums of 2020? Oh, Conway the Machine, 100,000% from King of God. Look, play my position in the kitchen, I'm working. Whip it, bag of half and fifties, hit the strip and I serve it. If it's an issue, trust, I'm coming to get with you in person. With the fact that that album, I'm like, were you all listening? That's an exceptional rap album. Spillage Village. Also, is a f that's a fire album. Fire album. When I make it to the heavens, what's the code? Do I call the phone? Security at the gate, no plus one. Come all along. All along the race of life. I took a jog along along the coast. I'm trying to cope. I raise a toast and we consulted with the most. Just like next level, like moving the culture forward type ish. Honestly, anything that isn't the Jay Electronica and Jay Z album could go. <laughs> Megan <laughs> Thee Stallion, friggin'. Young Thug, like whoever. Like, I ain't even listened to Young Thug's new album yet, and I'm still like, it's, yeah. But 
I would put Benny's project on there. I do this for suffering children and checks from government buildings. A dope boy who made a check from other than Dylan. What a good feeling when they know you one in a million. Honestly, like if I had three, I would go West Side Conway and Benny. Oh, I was about to say, I was just about to say, Black Thought. I know. No, Black Thought's album is outstanding. Yeah. Black Thought for sure. I'm from the home of the ghosts, water plugs, and wokeness, water bugs, and roaches, drugs, and overdoses. How you approach this Philly is where the dope is. My uncle's friends and Willie is still the ghostness. I have an honorable mention, maybe goes to Code of the Friends yeah. record. I can change the story if you let me. Promise in the morning won't forget me. Lately, I've been missing California. I am far from perfect, but you I thought as a summer yeah. record and as a kind of, you know, sort of debut project, it felt like an announcement mm -hmm. of sorts and, a, and just a real, a real vibe, a real summer record. And, and I mean, Busta's record is better than the Jay-Z record. Busta's record is oh, better Busta. than D-Smoke's album. Oh, and it's better than Nas's. And if we're going to compare, like, that's a good comparison in some ways. And we talked about it. I think, yeah. like, the, the the differences between, you know, Busta's and, and Nas's record. Like, Busta is is still out-rapping so many people <laughs> and just with uh, styles. And Nas has a great right. voice. But I like hearing Nas records, but I do not go back to Nas records, like, after Illmatic. Really. I mean, not that's really. Fair. You know yeah. what I mean? That's, that's, I do yeah. go back to the song Bridging the Gap, though, a lot. Hey, hey, hey. Of this rap skit, styles I mastered. Many brothers snatched it up and tried to match it, but I'm still number one every day. Real speak what I want, I don't care what y'all feel because I'm my own. Sure, and I, I mean, I you know that the joint with Lauren yeah, yeah, Hill, and, and there's you know, there's yeah. a few, yeah, there's yeah. songs, but no album, like literally no album. It, 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 you might you know? want to give King's Disease, there's something in I, I, it's Hit Boy to me. There's something no, about King's what Disease. It is. I, there's something in King's Disease I really, really like, actually. Aside from, oh, it's a new Nas, I'm going to check it out. I just love the conciseness. It just the poet in me loves how concise it is. Like the songs like yeah. are just, now we're done. That's over. Moving. Like it's just, there's no waste on it. And like, I just wonder, you know, put a different artist on that album. Like, I think I would still, I think I would still love it. No, and look, Nas can write. Nas yeah, Nas is, is not whack. You know, one of the best writers, the best. Yeah, no, 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 he's incredibly dope. He's amazing. I think it is. It, we need a shift in his gender politics. Call, call your aunties, like get some help. Anyway, um, Justin Mayer, uh, super producer Justin Mayer, was surprised. No run the jewels. Looking for M's like I lost a friend. Jump out of my bed like where the bread. You go hold the egg. Waiter, bring the check. When we talk, we collision the car. Keep us in your thoughts. We'll be dressed at the crack of dawn. But this heading off, I can hear them. Do you uh, do you feel the same way? Um. I you know, it, in some ways, I think it's like too much of a aggressive record for the Grammys. You know, I mean, as much as like these, the you know, some of these records are very political. I don't miss it on this list, to be honest. I, I, I hadn't actually thought about it until super producer Justin Mayer brought it up. But I just know people like, I mean, I'll tell you this. I didn't love their last album, but I still liked it better than Jay Electronica and Jay-Z. <laughs> We we go through all the albums of 2020. You're like, uh, yep, put that on. It's better than better than better than a written testimony. <laughs> it's also a terrible title. Um, Horrible, stupid. Anyway, all right, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. All right, uh, this is the uh, same old new school. I'm Idris Goodwin, and I'm Kevin Colvin, and uh, we uh, we just wrapped up talking about the the surprising Grammy nominations for rap albums for this year. Uh, but another surprise, speaking of surprises and speaking of hip hop, uh, as we do, uh, hip hop's official comedian laureate, Dave Chappelle, just popped up out of nowhere on his Instagram and dropped like a 15 minute 
routine called Unforgiven. Did you check this out? Well, yeah, yeah. Once you, uh, you know, implored me to do so, and I'm, I'm very glad that I did. I mean, it's stunning. Um, you know, we talked about it off, so I, I want you to kind of start with what you thought about it because there's something that you said about it that is still resonating with me. So I'm curious as to, to you know, I'm glad you put me on. To I it. mean, yeah. So I'm a hardcore comedy fan, right? I think there is a kinship between you know rappers, poets comedians you know there's just something about the individuality the microphone the point of view and the and the invisible rules the invisible structures and dave has completely abandoned the setup punchline tag premise you know rue maripoi that 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 you know holy trinity that is just the back if you want to be a comedian you have to understand premise setup punchline tag all that stuff this dude at this point now is just telling stories and really more than stories. Really what he's doing is he's dropping like stand up essays. He's, he's like W E B Dubois, Booker T Washington, Marcus Garvey, Angela Davis, Patricia Rose, Dave Chappelle, like love him or hate him. When they look back, he is one of the significant sort of contemporary black philosophers of this moment. That's what he's doing on stage. And so this latest thing is like an essay about being black, you know, black intellectual property and content and culture and and asking questions about value and wealth. I mean, really what it's about is the Chappelle show and the ownership of Chappelle show was contractually there versus how it exists in the collective and the public imagination and the public, like it's public property, quote unquote, you know, like we, we elevated Chappelle show. We made Chappelle matter. Like we all own it. And that's the question he's asking. Like he says, I know it's in the contract, but is that right? And to me as a black man, a descendant of enslaved people, a descendant of people for whom the, you know, that, that tension between what is, what is in the contract and what is right, that tension has been part of our narrative forever. And it, it would just, it just blew me away. I was like, this is everything. This is everything. And again, as a as a sort of a hip hop comedian, and you think about the history of sampling, and you think about the, you know what I mean? Like it's it's just it just well they call it just they, knocked me on my They call the masters for a reason, right? And yeah. I, I mean ultimately what he's saying is like it is time, you're right, to give intellectual property back to the creators, to the innovators, or to free the masters. And I I mean that's that's kind of the, the proclamation he makes at the end. Netflix pulls down the Chappelle show, right? Like the day, I think this this comes out or the day after mm-hmm. this comes out, which is significant. This made me want to, you know, reflect on the music industry, of course. And it made me think of the situation that De La Soul is involved in with Tommy Boy, mm-hmm. with, you know, mm-hmm. so many, so many great rap groups, so many great musicians do not own their intellectual property because of the deviousness, the insidiousness, the unfairness of these contracts. And, um, you know, uh, Chappelle tells the story of when he signed it, 
why he signed it. You know, and you think about so many other young people. I mean, we're about to talk about, we're, ta- we're about to talk about L. Cool J's, you know, radio, which came out in 85 when he was 16 or 17 years old. And, you know, Chappelle is just a few years older, really, you know, when he goes into the contract negotiations with a multinational conglomerate, Viacom, right, to, you know, and, and so who is going to be equipped, you know, in order to, you know, get around legal ease? I mean, and even have the know-how of, of, you know, in order to ensure that you're protected. And so I, I think that this proclamation is bold and I hope that it does. I hope it's a tipping point, you know. I think it is, man. I think it. I think it's an incredibly. It's a. It's a moment to me. It's um. It's it's a reference point, because it just begs the question of like cultural product and value, like so. Yeah, of course the contract says that, but everything's changed. That was at the beginning. Now is now. Chappelle is this incredible. I mean, like, dude, he dropped stuff like seven, eight, nine, ten million people watch stuff that he puts out on Instagram and YouTube. I mean, this is a power, this is a guy with a powerful audience. So why would you not just renegotiate? Just everything's different now, right? You know, there was, okay, this thing became this other thing. So it's that inflexibility, you know, it's the same thing that happened with like Napster. I mean, we go, we go back to this moment all the time is there's this inflexibility and this sort of like, these corporations think that they have all the power and they don't think that the collective, that the people have power, that once an artist penetrates culture in a certain kind of way, that it takes on this whole other thing. And, you know, and so to me, it just, it's just, you know, to your point, it speaks volumes to the historic dynamic between creatives and corporations, particularly black creatives, but also in this digital time, in this streaming time, it's it's also like, why are we adhering to these analog ass rules? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and hip hop um, has always, you know, been future facing. Um, I think of when KRS said there used to be a time when rap music was illegal. And, you know, and it still is in a lot of ways. And the practices certainly are. I mean, you mentioned sampling and sampling as a practice is still illegal, even though mm-hmm. companies do it all the time. And, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and so I think that Chappelle is, you know, hip hop's like comedian laureate. And I think he stands in, in that tradition. And, and I mean, one, those 18 minutes or 15 minutes of his stand up Unforgiven are are beautiful to watch him weave. And then ultimately what he's saying at the end, I think we, we all need to take heed, you know, too. Yeah, definitely, man. I thought that, uh, again, just this idea that he there's very few jokes in it. There's no like what we would consider a joke. It's just to me, he's doing that thing, which is critical, I think, particularly more so in like narrative style so like what jet apatow does like what they do in films and sitcoms is like you don't try to go for a laugh you just tell a story you just if you're a funny person you'll be funny but the comedy comes through the struggle it comes through the vulnerability it comes through the desire it comes through the frustration you know and he to me is i mean it's it's apt that they gave him the mark twain award because that's what he is, right? He really, truly is the closest thing to Twain in this time, in the sense that he's just he's just telling you stories. He's telling you stories to make some kind of, to, to, to pose some kind of culturally relevant, socially relevant question. Right. And so, yeah. you know, when people get upset about, he, you know, he offends me here, he offends me there, cool, like that's valid. But 
it's so much deeper than yeah. that. Like he's, he's he's not interested in rightness. He's interested in, in asking us a question. Yeah, there's a moral quandary or a morality tale in what he's doing. And and yeah, I think it just the depth. It's not just to make you laugh. It's not just to hit you in the gut. It's to, it, yeah, it's for for a different maybe higher purpose. Um, yeah, man. Uh, so yeah, this is the uh, same old new school. I'm Etri Skuin. And I'm Kevin Colvin. We're chopping it up and uh, very excited to talk about this last topic. We are consistently trying to acknowledge these anniversaries, which are bittersweet because they're just reminding us, uh, reminding me at least, of, of how freaking old I am. <laughs> how old are you? 1985, man. So it's 35th anniversary of Elo Cool J's radio. Um, it came out November 18th, 1985. How old were you? You just coming? Eight? Gosh, I was probably eight years old. Eight years old. Okay. I was 10, yeah. I was 10 years old. Um, wow. But I do remember this record coming out. You know, I, I don't know what you thought of it then, but I am curious about what do we think of this record? Mm-hmm. What do we think of LL? You know, LL Cool J to me is you got to You got to tip your hat. You know, there's been some blemishes on the, on the way, of course, but you got to tip your hat, man. The guy is, is truly one of the, one of the goats, man. One of the legends for a reason. And, uh, you know, and this album's a reminder that, you know, I listen to it and I'm just astonished at the level of, you know, he sounds like a grown man, like he's yeah. like a kid, but he sounds, and that's how I thought of him when I was like eight or nine years old. I always thought he was so much older than he was just because he had, he's just ex- like that energy and that charisma is just explosive. You know, the two songs that I know from this album for the most part is like, um, you know, radio. Bells. LL Cool J is hard as hell. Battle anybody, I don't care. You tell. I excel. They all fell. Gonna sell double L. And I think there's a reason for that because those are kind of the only two really solid songs on here. Looking back, it's a little tough to listen to just because you can tell that this was the beginning of trying to use the drum machine you know, to, to sustain a whole album, you know, very rudimentary, you know, I don't even think sampling technology was even really there yet. Yeah. Produced, um, produced by Rick Rubin and, you know, Jazzy J has a track that, that produced on there, but yeah, you're right. I mean, this is still like early into that process for them. Just I'm, I'm like a few years in, right. This is like a few years after Tila Rock, it's yours. Commentating, illustrating, description giving, adjective expert, analyzing some of the musical yeah, so it, it's a little, it's a little the crudeness of it, and and it's it, you know, and I think he hasn't. I mean, if anything, my biggest takeaway is that it now reminds me of truly how great the second album, Bigger and Deffer, which has I'm Bad on it. And I need love. There I was, giggling about the games that I had played with many hearts, and I'm not saying no names. Then the thought occurred, tear drops made my eyes burn. Cause I said to myself, look what you've done to her. I can How good that album actually is, because the growth between radio and bigger and deafer is very significant. Because that album's like 87, I wanna say, 86, 87. I'm a little older. That's the album I know a lot more because I was obsessed with 
I'm bad. Like, oh my God. And it, that song still goes now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think that um, those, those records, you know, the I Can't Live Without My Radio and Rock the Bills are still very good. There's a few things that he does on this record, though, that I think are noteworthy. Let's go. You know, one is that he has the ode to his DJ, Cut Creator Dangerous, on there. You know, I, I miss the odes to the DJ. I miss when we were so close to the source of the culture yes. and the music itself. And I think we've removed ourselves from the source. We've removed ourselves from, you know, the drum in some ways. And, and I think like the DJs who called the party together and, and I, I think to give that kind of praise, like it's an idea that, that goes back to the roots of the culture that I think is still important. And I, I really like that song, that, that Dangerous Cut Creator song. He also has like, you could tell that this album was made for the cassette because yes. midway through he has like a live untitled where they encourage you to flip over the tape and then you know and i love that little live back and forth it gives you a sense of like what the shows were like and like the people's yeah. routines you know what i mean like because this was right. a live art form before it was ever you know it was like, like kind of like the bible right it was it was yeah. told via orality and then eventually it was codified it was codified to the record it was codified you know written down in the bible but i love that playfulness and the routine he has with this man before they go you know side b which then hits you with rock the bells which is an incredible way to kick off the beast uh, it's funny you said because that was the original title of this album was not radio. It was it's kind of like the Bible. <laughs> I you know what can I tell you? I think I just always bring it back to some Jewishness. You know what I mean? I just really listen. Like, let's I mean, go. Listen, that's that's really let's, let's that's go, why. bro. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, Cool J is the this has nothing to do with uh, Jewishness. It is the first <laughs> international rap solo star and. A, and becomes like a like a, a sex symbol, you know, essentially overnight. Yeah. I mean, even as a young man, I mean, which, you know, speaks to the kind of the problems of our fetishization, particularly of, you know, young black bodies. But um, but he becomes, you know, Run DMC is a group and LL Cool J is, you know, essentially standing yeah. alone um, yeah. and becomes an international celebrity, you know, yeah, off, off, off this record. I mean, you hear it, man. That's the one thing that's undeniable. Like, you hear it. You hear just the renewable energy. He's an energy source, man. Like, you can plug into him. Like, he, it's it's incredible. It's really incredible to even to go back and just be like, wow, this guy was, he had to know. He had to know. And you, and I've heard him speak on this, too. It's like, you know, it was, he cut his teeth, man. He battled every, you know, a, a, Queens had some great rappers, man. And I love, he tells this story about a guy named Mikey D who was like, the guy he had to, I was like his arch nemesis and like another kid who, who was also circulating in the record company, you know, he, he, he was, it was either him or Mikey D. So in an alternate reality, we'd be talking about Mikey D's, you know, album right now, but it was like, it's because, you know, he had to battle people like Mikey D that he got that sharp. And, uh, so yeah, man, congratulations, uh, LL Cool J, um, 35 years, man. It's crazy. You know, I feel like really took notes from LL and I haven't thought about it in the same way before is is Jay-Z. Totally. You know, because like even the simile game that LL flips on this record, you see Jay use, you know, later. And of course, the continued braggadocio, like the fulfilling of an idea, the presentation or representation of the self as like a supreme character, mm -hmm. um, you know, LL kind of, you know, 
masters, maybe Jay Z perfects. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is like a, a shared poetic, both of that that braggadocio, but also I think the love of the simile. Yeah. Um, and I, I saw it listening again to this record. And you know, Jay Z, you know, Rockefeller Records had a joint deal with Def Jam. Jay Z becomes eventually becomes the president of Def Jam. Jay Z's album Ninety Nine Problems. Rick Rubin produced it, and he was in that vein. He was like, I want it to sound like early LL, early. Beastie Boys, you know, like um, there, there was, there's a lot working in that for me. I actually was listening to Run DMC. I was introducing my youngest son to Run DMC this weekend. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, and uh, you know, it's interesting to go back to that time and that sound, you know, because it really, you know, you could see how it bridged bridge cultural gaps, man, because it had it just had so much energy and attitude, and you could follow along to it because it was it was very much on the two and the four, and it was like you know, and uh, so yeah, man, it's it's been great to revisit. Rick Rubin let the rapper rap. The, yeah. it, the, the voice became an instrument. Yeah. It was, you know, I think we've talked about this, but there was a sparseness on that production that allowed for the the voice to be its own instrumentation. And you you hear that on you know these early iterations coming coming out of Def Jam. What did your son think of Run DMC? Well, he he doesn't he can only say like three words right now, but I could tell he was feeling. He's he's a b boy. My wife and I are convinced that he's a b boy because just the way he takes to music like. Yeah, like he he's feeling it. Like he he starts kind of group. Yeah, yeah, he's a b boy. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. Um, we do it for the babies. All right, y'all. This has been uh, the same old new school. I'm your boy Idris Goodwin. And I'm Kevin Koval. We do this every week. Make sure you keep checking for us uh, on Vocalo and also on all the streamers. Uh, it is a pleasure, as always. Stay safe out there. And also, I will say on our social media, go to uh, at same old new school on IG. Let us know what you want to listen to. Thank you for tuning in. And peace. Peace.